to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello, and welcome to the show. Yes, I am Roy Biancalana, and I am particularly excited about today's episode because I want to save you an enormous amount of time and energy and heartache. One of the benefits of listening to what I have to say or really taking advantage of any of the resources I have is that you can save yourself a lot of mistakes and a lot of pain by learning from my journey, learning from the things I've discovered. You know, there's a saying that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? You, you could go through your whole love life and be wanting to attract lasting love as I have, and you can figure out all the pitfalls and all the problems and make all the mistakes and do all those things yourself. You could. And sometimes there's some benefit from learning from your own journey. But then again, if somebody's been down this path and has made the mistakes and learn from them and discovered a few things along the way, wouldn't it be wise to just perhaps listen to them and save yourself so much time and energy and heartache? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to tell you how to have a wonderful love life. Okay. And I chose that phrase for a very specific reason. Because I want to use the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, as sort of a reference point. Because that movie, well, first of all, it's one of the most popular and favorite movies of all time, right? Most everyone has seen it. And I think one of the reasons people love the movie is because You know, at the end, George is shown how much his life has made a difference. He's shown that he's impacted people and made a difference. And that makes him realize that his life has been worth living. But there's another theme in that movie that I don't think gets talked about as much. And it's the theme that I think can make us really relate to George. And I think it's one of the underlying reasons why people love the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Because George Bailey had plans for his life and they didn't turn out the way he thought it would or the way he wanted it to. So yeah, George Bailey had a plan for his life, right? He had big dreams. You know the first part of the movie. He was going to get out of that little town of Bedford Falls and see the world. He was going to go to Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, and the Colosseum, and 
And then after college, you know, he was going to build skyscrapers and airfields and bridges a mile long, he said, right? It was going to be a wonderful life. Well, it didn't turn out that way, did it? Not even close, right? So his father dies and George gets wind of Potter's evil schemes. So he put his travel and college plans temporarily on hold and took over the family business. He would run things until his brother finished college. Then his brother would take over and he would resume his plans of seeing and changing the world. But that didn't work out either. Even, even his, um, his honeymoon plans were thwarted when there was a run on the bank. Right? He had to use his personal savings to keep the business afloat and kept the town from falling into the hands of Potter. So nothing was going according to plan. And then George, you know, he hits rock bottom when his senile Uncle Billy lost track of the bank's money, and now George is not only facing bankruptcy, he might go to jail. Right? So talk about a life that did not go according to plan. And so, you know, he was broken and despairing and hopeless, about to give up on life, and all he could do was pray, show me the way, right? That's when Clarence, his wingless guardian angel, shows up. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. Well, I don't want to be too dramatic, but I wonder if you can relate to George. I know I can. I'll bet your love life has not gone according to plan, has it? Right? Did you ever imagine you'd be listening to a podcast like this you know, back when you were 20? Of course not. You know, what, what was your plan? Weren't you either supposed to meet someone like in college or soon after and then fall in love and live happily ever after? Or wasn't your plan to, you know, finish college, get your career established, get your life going, get it on track, and then, okay, then maybe in your early 30s, you'd meet someone, maybe settle down, maybe even start a family, Right? So I don't know what your plan was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't any of the following things. I'm pretty sure it wasn't that at this point you might be divorced, maybe a single parent, and you're forced to start over. I'm pretty sure your plan was not to be professionally successful, but disappointed by a string of failed relationships. Again, I'm pretty sure that your plan was not to be betrayed and brokenhearted and wondering if you could ever open your heart again to someone new. I'm sure your plan was not to be in your late 30s or early 40s and there's no partner in sight and your biological clock is ticking. I'm pretty sure your plan was not to be, you know, single, able to attract partners, but never the right ones. I'm sure when you were in your teenage years or in college that your plan was never to be at midlife and be alone and terrified of online dating and hating bars and clubs and yet not knowing any other option. Right? So I don't know what your plan was, but I got a feeling that you can relate to George in that it just did not turn out at all the way you, you thought it would. And I can relate to that too. I mean, I really get that. I mean, 
I got married when I was 24. That was kind of according to plan, right out of college. My wife and I were supposed to have this, you know, exciting, highly sexual relationship. We were going to gallivant around the country playing on the PGA Tour because I was a golfer back then, right? We were going to make truckloads of money and be famous and just have a great time. It didn't turn out that way. Okay, yeah, I did get on tour, but I flamed out after like two years. I didn't have enough money to fill a Tonka toy truck, much less a real truck. (laughs) And as for that exciting, highly sexual marriage I envisioned, well, that didn't happen either. Our relationship fizzled into a functional, platonic thing. So I was discouraged. And that's an understatement. I was despairing. So what did I do? Well, I went through a divorce and I just rebounded into another relationship. Of course, that one was highly sexual and I got engaged and, okay, I had new plan now. Okay, new woman, new plan. I'm going to have that exciting sexual relationship, this great marriage you know, and move forward with my life and kick ass and take names. But that relationship, I I soon discovered, and as I look back on it, now I know that it was really built on a lot of fear and insecurity within me. Um, And it fell apart. And six months before the wedding, she dumped me, right? So I was a basket case. So, So my new plan, that didn't work out either. And I came unglued. I was just an absolute mess. I've shared a little bit about that in another podcast. And then, you know, to deal with that, I went online and met a bunch of women and I just created more nightmare. So I can relate to the idea that having a plan for how your life is supposed to go, you know, it doesn't work out that way. And I'm pretty sure that you can relate to that too. Now, it's what we do at that point, (laughs) you know, um, is what we do when our plans have not gone according to plan that can make, you know, all the difference. Um, And I don't know how I did these things. I don't really know. I don't think I got lucky, but I want to share a little bit about what I did and what I learned in that moment when I was sort of on the bridge, ready to jump. Okay. Now, it wasn't literally like that, but I was awfully depressed. I was awfully down. I was awfully discouraged. I felt pretty hopeless about my love life, my life in general. Right. So I was kind of on that bridge like George was. And one of the first things I did was I actually asked someone to help because I didn't know what the hell was going on. So, you know, I had my own version of standing on the bridge, praying, show me the way. And my Clarence, (laughs) my guardian angel showed up in the form of my coach, Diana. Okay, so that was the first thing is that I hit rock bottom. 
I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And I was desperate and discouraged. And I did have a kind of a prayer. Show me the way. I mean, I mean, what am I doing? What am I missing? And I'm imagining that you're, you've probably been there. Maybe you are there now. If not, um, I don't know, but you have or you will get to a point where you just feel lost and you feel discouraged and sort of hopeless and you you don't have any answers because you feel like you've you've done everything, you've tried everything. And I think it's at that time that something mystical happens when we're truly open, when we're truly um, vulnerable, when we're truly ready to learn. It's like there's an old Buddhist saying when the teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that's kind of what happened to George, right? When he got ready, all of a sudden Clarence showed up. I think had Clarence showed up earlier in the journey, I don't, I don't think maybe George would have paid any attention. I know for me that if my coach had showed up in my life in some way, shape or form, before all that stuff I went through, I was, I would not have listened. I was, I was not ready. I was not ripe. Okay. So at some point you're going to hit that place where you're not only down and discouraged, but you really are saying, show me the way, like what's going on here. The second thing, um, that all of that pain and discouragement and everything caused me to do is it made me really look at the, the, the deeper motivations in my love life, what was making me tick. And it made me look at the approach that I was taking to find a partner and the way I was doing it, right? I, I sort of became a fly on the wall to my own love life. And I, I began to look at the ways in which I was going about trying to find a partner. And I actually discovered that there were six things I was doing. And I, I categorized them into what I would call the conventional approaches to finding a partner. This is where I want to save you so much time. Because I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through these six conventional ways of trying to find a partner. And I'm just about guaranteeing you that you've done probably at least four, if not all of them. I did all of them. Okay. So I know all of them. They don't work. They're not wrong. They're not bad. They, they just don't work. They don't create a wonderful love life. They just create drama and difficulty and all the stuff that we're familiar with. So, in, in, in other podcasts, I've talked about this, this, you know, can, can the conventional approach versus the conscious approach. And so with the rest of our time, I just want to go deeper into what does that mean on a deeper level? So I want to walk you through six um, conventional approaches and I use, I use F words for all of them. Okay. They're all F words. And I sort of choose the F word because, you know, it, 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 the F word is a bad word, right? It's, it's um, kind of a naughty word. 
uh, and, and so I don't mean that these six conventional ways are uh, naughty or bad, but they F up your love life. I mean, they, they don't work, okay? So let me walk you through them. The first one, the first conventional approach to trying to find a partner is, that people use is what I call fate, okay? The F word, fate. And I think I call this kind of the defeated approach, right? It's, a, it's the fairy tale. It's the romantic comedy type of hope that somehow, somewhere, and in some mysterious way, the stars are going to perfectly align and fate is going to bring two people together, right? A lot of, a lot of people really believe that this is how it's going to happen, that it's just going to happen. And I sometimes call this, this approach the Reese's peanut butter cup approach. Remember that old commercial, someone's walking with chocolate? They bump into someone who's walking with peanut butter and the, and the two get mixed together and voila, they have something delicious. It's fate, right? Great commercial, lousy approach to finding love. Why? It's because you're taking kind of a victim approach. You're, you're kind of saying that you don't have any part in attracting a partner. You, you're kind of saying, I don't have anything I can really do about it. It's just fate. It's the gods. It's uh, luck. It's right. And so it, that's why I call it, you know, that's why I call it the defeated approach, right? Well, I, I just haven't crossed paths with the right person yet. That's what the fate approach sounds like. Or for those of you who are more spiritually minded or religiously minded, you might say, well, it's just not God's will for me to find someone yet. Or someday it's just going to happen. You know, it's a numbers game and you play the numbers long enough and you're just bound to bump into the right person. Okay. Now, there's a teeny weeny itsy bitsy grain of truth in some of that. I mean, we are not in total control of the universe. But in the end, this is a sweet sounding pseudo spiritual approach and it's a cop out because inwardly we've given up and we're playing the victim and we're blaming our relationship status on events that are beyond our control i have to just wait for fate what can i do i'm sort of stuck and so forth okay so that's the first approach i don't know which one of these approaches is the most common but that one is way up there fate the defeated approach the second F word is fishing. And again, I'm sharing this with you so that you will look at these six ways. If you haven't done them, maybe you'll be convinced I'm not even going to go down that road. If you have been done them, maybe you recognize from what I'm saying that they don't work and you stop and you save yourself so much pain and agony and heartache and so forth. Okay. So the second one is the fishing approach. The F word is fishing. I call this the desperate approach, all right? So the fishing approach is kind of a saturation strategy. You know, it sort of says, if I put enough of my hooks into enough ponds, I am liable to catch something, right? And that's probably true. You, you will catch something, but you'll probably want to throw it back, <laughs> okay? 
So the phishing approach is not just being on a bunch of dating sites. And back in the day, I was on four of them at one time, and I had hooks in every pond I could find. But it's also the people that do the that are kind of taking this as their strategy will be going to pick up places, joining meetup groups, attending lots of singles events, you know, pretty much everywhere they go and everything they do is being chosen based upon, is that a good pond where I might find some fish, right? So this approach is sort of the opposite of the fate approach, right? With fate, you sit back, you do nothing. You're just waiting on the gods. You're waiting on fate. With the fishing approach, you leave no stone unturned, which is why I call it the desperate approach. Now, personally, I was not really much of a fate guy. It doesn't fit my personality. I'm a little bit too much type A to just sit back and wait for my love life to be the way I want it to be. But the fishing approach, that was me, man. I was on Match and eHarmony. Back in the day, it was Yahoo Personals. I did one of those really expensive matchmaking things called Great Expectations. I'm not even sure they're in business anymore, but there's others that have replaced them. So, I mean, if I had been Jewish, I'd have joined J-Date. If I had been old enough at the time, I'd have been on our time. I'd have done it all because I just felt like I, I was so desperate. I wanted to put my hook where I could find it. Okay. So that's the second F word. The third one is what I call fixed up. Fixed up. I call this the delegating approach. Now, being fixed up, yeah, I mean, that can work sometimes. There are people who have met their their, mart, their mates by being fixed up with someone. Um, but the vast majority of people who use the fixed up approach are sort of coming from an inner place, if they're honest, it's kind of a disempowered place, a place of kind of victim consciousness. It's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how or where or what it takes to meet someone. I've gone through everything. I've gone through my everybody at work, my social circle. I just don't know what to do. Can you help me? You know, Can you find someone for me? Well, again, it's not terrible to ask your friends to keep your eyes open. But when you're doing this approach, I think there's something going on inside of you that you're sort of disowning responsibility for taking responsibility for your love life. And you're you're sort of asking someone else to step in and do it kind of for you. That's why I call it the delegating approach. Okay, so it comes from an idea that the answer to finding a partner is outside of us. Right, it's it's going to be you helping me, right? Rather than, of course, the conscious approach is to look more inward and to focus on our beliefs, our energies, our personas, our unconscious commitments. Okay, so that's the third one, the you know the kind of the fix me up kind of thing. The fourth F word is fake it. This was the one that I was a genius at. Okay. <laughs> I call it the deceptive approach. And the F word is fake it because it means what it says, that you will sort of become a chameleon. You will morph into whoever or whatever you need to be in order to get the attention and affection of your partner. 
And most people are pretty good at this. And I was just, I was really good at it. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and sometimes this wasn't necessarily really conscious of me. It, it was like, I didn't really know I was doing it. It just, it just made sense to me that if I wanted to get someone to like me, then I, I just wanted to be a person that I thought they would like. You know, I just, it wasn't like I was trying to be overtly manipulative or to be deceptive. It was just more of an assumption that if I meet, you know, I see a beautiful woman, um, I want her to like me. So if I want her to like me, then I kind of want to, who do I need to be to get her to like me? I think this is one of the most common things that we have this instinctive thing that I I want to give you the image or I want to show the part of myself that I think you will like. And uh, maybe I won't share the parts of me that I think might be a turnoff or that I'm not sure if you would like, right? So this kind of fake it thing is really what happens in the romance phase of a relationship, right? Like you put your best foot forward. You, if you have a disagreement on something, the person says you might not want to start an argument. You might not want to say, I don't agree with that at all, or I see it differently or something. You just might go along to get along a little bit. You don't want to create conflict. You know, maybe later we'll talk about that. Maybe later I'll, I'll share my opinions or my beliefs or something. So it's really easy in the early phases of a relationship to sort of show the parts of you that you think will be accepted and to withhold the kind of things that you suspect could get you rejected, right? So, you know, in my book, I describe this a little bit um, and try to do it in kind of a funny way, you know, I say, are, are you liberal or conservative? Oh, me too. Are you a Christian? Oh, I'll quote you scripture. Are you a new ager? Namaste. Are you afraid of ang- angry men? Well, I am as calm as Eckhart Tolle. Oh, do you like the alpha male? Oh, I can be Clint Eastwood. Do you want to take it slow? Oh, my God, that's so awesome. I do too. <laughs> do you need a Mr. Mom type? Oh, I love kids, especially yours. Do you need someone to listen to? I'll be your therapist. Are your shoulders tight? I'll be your masseuse. Do you need a surrogate father? I love changing diapers. Are you too busy to clean your own house? Because I love vacuuming. It's just one of the, I just love doing that. Okay. You get it? So I'm being a little facetious there, but faking it is one of the most common approaches to attracting a partner. We become someone we're not which is why I call it the deceptive approach. Although it's not necessarily a conscious deception effort. So that's the fourth one. Are you resonating? Have you, how many of these things have you tried? You've got to be honest now. <laughs> Probably all of them. All right. The fifth F word is called former lovers. I call this the been there, done that approach, right? I did this one. It's another conventional approach to finding a partner. It's like if 
If I'm not finding someone, maybe I go back to one of my former lovers and try again. It's sort of like we recycle. <laughs> we want to be green, right? We want to be environmentally sensitive. So we recycle, but we could do that in our love lives and it doesn't work out so well, right? So that's why I call it the been there, done that approach. But here's the thing, you know, I, I, I've coined a term called, I call it relationship Alzheimer, Alzheimer's syndrome. Okay? It's not to make fun of the Alzheimer issue. It's a real serious issue. But sometimes we have relationship Alzheimer's, meaning we sort of forget why it didn't work out with that former partner. Or we overlook it. Or we sugarcoat it. Because what? We're lonely. Because we really want to be in a relationship. And so we kind of forget things. We overlook things. We sugarcoat things. And then we start thinking, you know, man, we still have a little chemistry. You know, they do have some really good qualities. And so you go back to a former lover and... Unless the two of you have really dealt with the issues that drove you apart in the first place, you're just going to end up in the same place, you know, and you're going to realize you made a huge mistake because the same things that broke you up in the past are going to be there still, right? So the recycling thing rarely works. You do hear stories of people that hook up with even someone they were married to and they get remarried and it works. Okay, so I'm not saying that, you know, it never works. But you know what? You need to watch out for the RAS, the Relationship Alzheimer's Syndrome, okay? Now, the last one is, the last F word is the worst one. I call it formulas. I call it the dependent approach, right? If you've done any research online or watch videos and, you know, the conventional approach, man, is formulas. It's the world's filled with tips and techniques and tricks and tactics. Men are told about how to be the pickup artist and women are told about how to flirt and say and do certain things to get a man's attention. There's all these formulas out there. Um, And I understand I mean, relationships are hard, and so we seek easy answers and simple strategies and quick fixes and cookie-cutter formulas. But when we do that, when we look for the formula or somebody's come up with some system, right? what we're doing is we're moving away from our hearts. We're moving away from our authenticity because often... The formulas are foreign to us. They're, they don't really fit our personality. They don't really fit our deeper motivations. We're, we're sort of, be, we're, trying, we're trying some system that is really not us. Oh, we think it might work, so we give it a try. Um, but we move away from our hearts and our authenticity, and we move away from our, our own inner wisdom. See, when you... When you rely on someone's got a formula for you, like you do this and you do this and you do this, you say it this way, and then you, you got to be cocky and funny, and then you got to flirt, you got to do this, and you know after the first date, if it was great, you just you don't text right away. You got to give them a couple of days and make them wonder, you know, be coy, don't don't let them know how you feel, you know, play the game, right? The the formulas teach you a game, like you got to play a game, okay. Um, and what, what, that, what that takes you away from is your own wisdom. 
that really is there, your own heart, your own authenticity, and you just become dependent on someone who's learned how to make a lot of money off of some system. Okay? Now, the conscious approach that I'm going to talk about, you know, it's got nothing to do with a formula. It's really a call to wake up. It's a call towards self-awareness. It's a journey towards your own heart and your own wisdom. And here's the thing. You can't mix the conventional approach and the conscious approach. They are so different. You can't do a little bit of one and then a little bit of the other one. It's a binary thing. Um, it, it. How do I say it? It's like you... You have to decide which path you want to go down because they go opposite directions. So the question is, have you tried the F words enough? Have you kind of come to your own conclusions that they aren't delivering for you? Now, this is where that statement I supposedly Einstein said it. I don't know if that's true. But you know the statement. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's what I want to ask you. If you've been doing any of the F words or all of them like I did, and if you're listening to this podcast, doesn't that mean they haven't worked? (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, if they had worked, you'd be in a great relationship and you would not be listening to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast that's for single people that don't want to be single, right? So if you're listening to this, you've probably done those approaches and they haven't worked. Now, you might think that, no, no, Roy, I I just got to do those F words better. See, I just need... You know, I, I need to. Um, I need to rely on fate more. I need more faith, or I just need a better profile. That's what I. I, I need a better profile, or I've got to find the right dating app. That's what I need to do, or whatever else. Right? I. I, I need to fake it better. I, I need to change something about my personality or at least hide something. You know, I, I I come on strong. Like I, sometimes I'm blunt. Sometimes I'm very straightforward. I think that turns people off. So maybe I just need to learn to soften my edge a little bit and not be so opinionated or you see what I'm saying? So maybe you just feel like, no, I'm going to double down on the F words and just do them better. Okay, fine. I'm like, go for it, right? I mean, like, I have no agenda for you. I, I, I you just, you got to do what you, what you got to do. And perhaps you're not ready for the conscious approach because the conscious approach only works if it's your only approach. Let me say that to you, Okay. The conscious approach that I'm going to explain to you, and I've touched on this in some other podcasts, but we're going deeper in it today. It only works if it is your only arrow in the quiver. 
you got to give up completely on all the other ones. Now, that doesn't mean that if you go on the conscious path, you can't be online. But it changes your entire approach to online dating. Everything becomes different, and perhaps someday we'll, we'll get into all that. But the conscious approach only works if you are so sick and tired and so disgusted and so disappointed with all the other ways you've been using to find a partner. If you're at the end of that rope, then you're ready for the conscious approach. Okay, so I'm going to assume that you are. And with that, I want to share with you a quote, and perhaps I've touched on this before. If there's ever a quote from a spiritual teacher, an ancient mystic that I would love for you to memorize, it's the one from Rumi. Now, remember, Rumi was um, a spiritual mystic from the Sufi tradition. The Sufi tradition, by the way, is kind of the spiritual wing of Islam. You might not know this, but most every major world religion has kind of an enlightened wing to it. It's got kind of a, it's got an offshoot of people who are coming more from a conscious perspective within that religion. So with Islam, it's called Sufism. In the Jewish tradition, it's called Kabbalah. In Christianity, it's called Christian mysticism, Christian mystics, like uh, Meister Eckhart, and there are some others, right? So Rumi was this mystical poet, like the 13th century. (laughs) And you might think, What does that guy have to say about today's relationships? But this is what he said. Your task is not to seek love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Now, if you listen to that, if you hear that, that should rock your world. Because that goes against everything you hear in the world today about how to find your life partner. Because all six of those F words, what were they? They were approaches to finding love. They were approaches to finding your partner. They were approaches that focused on them. How do I find them? Well, I rely on fate or fishing or faking it or find or former lovers. You, you see, but the first part of his statement, it says, your task is not to seek for love. Don't look for that. Don't, don't put your attention on how do I find a partner? Don't ask that question. That's the wrong question is what he's basically saying. And, and that should rock your world because that is the question that you, uh, certainly it's the question I was asking. Where do I find this beautiful sexual woman that I can have a great relationship with? I was looking for love. Right? So Rumi's like, no, 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 really. That's the wrong question. The real question is, what are the barriers that you have built within yourself that are keeping you from a loving relationship? In other words, he's saying the problem isn't to find a partner. The problem is you've built up walls and barriers that are preventing it from happening for you. (laughs) Do you see that that's a completely different thing? 
And so, so here's the whole quote. Your task is not to seek love, but merely seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Those are two very opposite paths that you get to pick as to what your approach is to attract lasting love. The conventional approach is to seek the partner and using the six F words and the formulas and all of that. But do you see now that to not seek for the partner, but to seek the barriers within yourself that you've built against love? Do you see how opposite that is? That's why they don't mix. That's why you can't do them both. So right here, you have to decide, do I think Rumi had something to say here? Do I think he was on to something, even though it was like 800 years ago when he wrote it? And it's my experience that if something is true, it's always been true. And it always will be true. And so that's what Rumi's basically saying. Man, give up the whole thing about where to go, how to approach, what to do, and all the, the formulas and the strategies and the online and all of that. I got to find a, find a partner, find a partner, find a partner. How do I do it? How do I do it? Give up on all that stuff. The reason you're single, the reason you're not in that love relationship is not because you haven't found the right person yet. It's because you're blocking it and you don't know it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You're not single because you haven't had fate and you haven't just bumped into the right person yet. You're not single because it's a numbers game. You're really not single because you, you haven't met the right person yet. No. You're not meeting the right person because you have barriers within yourself that are keeping you from meeting the right person. And in fact, those barriers are actually attracting the wrong people. The walls, the barriers, the unconscious commitments, the, the, the gunk that we have sort of inside of us is not only keeping healthy, sustainable relationships from coming our way, it's actually attracting the very dynamics and the very types of partners that we don't want. Right now, I'm spending so much time on this because you really do have to be convinced that the entire way that you have been going about your love life is not only not working, and it, but it never will. You, you got to be convinced. It's like, you know how with alcoholics, you can tell them that they're ruining their life, their relationships, their job, you know, their, their drinking is just making a mess out of everything. And usually they just ignore that. The only time that they get themselves on a path of sobriety is when they have hit rock bottom, which means they see that they've got a problem. They see that, okay, this ain't working. This is killing me. There's no hope here. There is no life at the bottom of the bottle. There, there's, there's, there's nothing good coming out of this. There's, there's no results. So in a sense, that's the major question that I present to my clients is first off, 
do you see that there is no hope doing it in the conventional way? Are you at rock bottom? Are you at that point? Like, oh, there's th- this ain't going to work. I'm done. I'm done. I'd rather be single than try all that crap anymore. So I'm spending so much time on it because once you make the shift, it's really not that hard. Once you say that I'm single because I've got barriers or blockages or baggage, whatever word you want to use, that I'm keeping myself single. Once you are willing to own that and let go of the notion that, well, you're single because the gods haven't worked in my favor yet, or, you know, I just got to keep fishing in the pond and I'm going to find one, or my friends got to fix me up with some better people. Damn it. What's wrong with my friends? Or I got to find a new formula. I got to get online and find a new guru out there that can give me a system. Okay. Unless you're done with that, then you're just going to continue that way. And perhaps then maybe you need to. Sometimes alcoholics just need to keep drinking, you know, and maybe some point they they will then find themselves at true rock bottom where then they are willing to be helped and they can make changes, right? Now, what I want to do with just maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes more here is I want to talk about some of the barriers if you're willing to look for them, right? And it's a big shift to actually, if someone's, if, like if somebody said to you, You know, so-and-so, why are you single? Like, if I asked you, why are you single? That is a really powerful question. Like, how would you answer it? If you're coming from a conscious perspective, do you know what the answer is? Well, I'm single because on some level, I want to be single. I want to be single. I'm, I'm doing it to myself. I'm blocking it. I have barriers that that is keeping the flow of love from coming my way. Right? But the other approach is, oh, why are you single? Well, because, you know, all the good ones are taken or gay. Or, you know, it's just not God's will. Or I got to write a better profile or find a better online app. Or I need to find better places to go. Or I need my friends to understand what I'm looking for so they can fix me up or I don't know, right? Why are you single? The only conscious answer is that I'm sabotaging myself in some way. I am keeping myself single. Now, if you're willing to go there, at about one out of 10 people are truly willing to take responsibility for being single and saying, yeah, like Rumi said, I have built barriers against it. As soon as you're willing to do that, the next thing that's going to come up is going to be like, well, what am I doing? What are my barriers? How am I blocking it? Right? Curiosity will immediately follow responsibility. The six F words are all blaming, right? I'm single because of fate or because of the fishing ponds or because of my former lovers or the formulas haven't worked, right? You're, you're sort of blaming your relationship status on all the things that you've been trying to do. They're just not working for you. 
But when you go in the conscious approach direction and you're saying, no, I'm going to seek and find the barriers that I've built against love, what you're saying is I'm taking responsibility for keeping myself single. And then as soon as you do that, you're going to be like, well, how am I doing that? Because I really do want to meet someone. And I don't want to be having my foot on the gas pedal. Right? I often use this kind of little metaphor or illustration. I'm not sure which it is. But you got your foot on the gas pedal, right? You want your car to move forward. You want your life to go towards a great relationship, right? You're hitting the gas, but the car's not moving. Well, the conscious person recognizes, ooh, I got my other foot on the brake. Like I'm, I'm pushing the brake pedal to the floor and the car makes a lot of noise. Oh, I talk about I want a partner. I want a partner. But I got a foot on the brake, which means I am sabotaging. I won't let the car go forward. I won't let my life move towards that relationship. I'm, I'm blocking it by having my foot on the brake. So a conscious person is not as interested on the gas pedal. How do I get there? Where do I go? No, they're interested in the foot on the brake. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen if your foot's on the brake. And that's what Rumi was saying. Don't seek for love. Seek for the brake. Seek for the, the barriers you've built inside of yourself against it. So what are those? Well, one of them, one of the barriers is something I call a scarcity mentality. Now, in future podcasts, I'm going to take every one of these barriers and spend an entire episode on it, right? But I don't touch on it. The scarcity mentality basically says that there are not many available partners that would be suitable for me. There's an old song from like 1983 by the Weather Girls where they sing, it's raining men, hallelujah, it's raining men. Where the scarcity mentality says, hell no, it ain't. Finding a good partner is like looking for a needle in a haystack. There are not a bunch of people that would be wonderful partners for me. Now, when you believe in that scarcity, what that does is that darkens your mood. It gives you a sour attitude. Right, all the good ones are taken or gay, and and it 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 depletes you of your life force. It depletes you of your joy. It deplete. It's like it's so hard to find someone, and and you know what I mean. And so you get a negativity about you. You get an attitude about you, and that carries in your body, whether you recognize it or not. It's like an aura. It's like a yeah. It's just like a a smell that comes out of your the pores of your soul. It's a neg- negative, sour, you know, there's, it, there's, no good, there's no good men, there's no good women, you know, the men are all assholes and just want one thing, or the women are gold diggers, they're all crazy. That's an attitude. And then you go into your life, you're living your life with that attitude, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That attitude is so negative, people can sense it, and they're turned off by it. And then you find, well, see, there is scarcity. No, you're just scaring people away or your your smell is so bad. They're like you. Ah. Why would somebody want to hook up with someone with that kind of negative, sour, Debbie Downer kind of energy? Okay, so the scarcity mentality is one. Now, the trick is how do you let go of that? Because it really seems true that the, the it's not raining men. It's not raining women. It is. 
it really is. But when you have the scarcity mentality, it seems that seems ludicrous to you. So more to come on that one. Uh, another one is this you complete me mindset thing. I've talked about that in other podcasts also. When you believe a life partner is supposed to be your life source, that if you believe that whatever that not okay feeling I have inside, loneliness or feeling not good enough or um, unworthy or unwanted, unlovable, if you believe that the right partner is going to fix that, then what happens is you put so much pressure on the relationship, you also will try too hard. You'll come on too strong because you need a partner to fill that void, to fix that problem, to finish that story, right? You, you, a partner's life and death because that not okay feeling is so powerful that you can't live with it. And your mind says, well, the way to fix that feeling on the inside is to find this, this ideal partner. So that also creates an energy that's not attractive in the world. When you're sort of needy or trying too hard, coming on too strong, when that loneliness sort of is, when it's got you and it's, and it's sort of motivating you, um, that can be felt too. That's, that's like a smell that comes out of your pores. That, that's an aura. And there really isn't anything more unattractive than neediness or desperateness or trying too hard, right? Um, But that is something that is so common to feel like there's something not right in here and I got to find a partner to fix it. Now, the reason that, that we do that is because every romantic comedy tells you that. That's why that movie, Jerry Maguire, I always say Jerry Maguire was full of shit. You complete me. No, no, you complete yourself. <laughs> you don't need a partner to do that for you. <laughs> right? So, but all music, love songs, go listen to the song by Emma. I think it was it Emma James. Uh, at last. Um, I'm not sure if I got her name right. But go listen to that song and you'll see that at last, all my, all the skies are blue, right? It's like, I found you and now everything that was wrong and everything that was less than complete is fixed because at last you're here, right? So all the music, all the movies, um, the, the, all the Hollywood movies, the Cinderella, the, you know what I mean? I, the, the, um. Uh, what's the one with the the, the the kiss the the princess and she wakes up right? You find your prince and and he kisses you. Sleeping Beauty, right? You're just, you're you're asleep. You're comatose. You're basically dead until your prince comes and kisses you and and now you're alive. It's like a relationship will resurrect you, right? These are powerful themes that you might laugh at and call them silly, but they're running your love life. They are the reason why you want a relationship. Because you think that relationship is going to fix you or heal something in you. And because you think that, 
Finding a partner is a big freaking deal. It's it, it's sort of life or death. All right? So that's the second one. Another one I would point to is, and this one's no fun, but many of us are incomplete with former lovers. Many of us, even though we might not be in the relationship with a former lover, we might not talk to them, we might not see them, but we're still relating with them sort of inside of us. We still have bitterness. We still have baggage. We still might have anger. We're just not finished with them. Now, sometimes we are still in relationship with them. If you're still married, if you're separated, you know what I mean? Sometimes you meet people that are, they're not really single. They're not literally available. But there are times when you might meet someone or maybe even you where you recognize, you know, I am legally available, but emotionally I'm not. See, when I, when my ex-fiance broke up with me, we were together two and a half years and six months before the wedding, she broke up with me. That just devastated me. And I didn't know what to do with all that pain. So I just got online and started trying to date other women just to distract myself from her to keep my mind off of her. Well, those other women I met, I was not really available. I mean, I was legally, I was single, but I wasn't really available. I wasn't complete. I hadn't worked through my grief. I hadn't worked through and learned the lessons. I I was still in relationship with my ex-fiance, even though I wasn't talking to her. I was still hung up on her. So sometimes I say it this way. If you still want to kiss or kill an ex, you aren't complete, and that is going to block your ability to attract a healthy relationship. If you still want to kiss them, which means I, I still want them, I'm still interested, I'm still kind of hung up, I miss them, and right, if you want to kiss them or if you want to kill them, that means you still have a lot of negative energy towards them. You, you're still hung up. You're not in love with them, but you're... Right? And we've all been on dates where the person talks about their ex and you get a sense, oh, they, they still want to kiss him or they want to kill him. I mean, they're not finished. And whenever you recognize that, you don't want to go forward with that person because that person really isn't available. In other words, you have to have space in your heart for love to appear. You got to have space. If there's somebody still in there, whether it's, They love them or they hate them. Okay? There's no room for you. Okay? Another barrier that, if it's going on in your life, will keep you single is something I call a relationship persona. See, very quickly here now, we all learn in our childhoods to be a certain way will get us attention and applause and approval and make us feel safe. We all learn certain personality traits and certain ways of behaving or dealing with our feelings or emotions or our attitude or so forth. We, all, we know that, oh, if I'm this little girl or this little boy, everybody likes me. They want to be around me. They approve of me and I feel safe and loved, which is what every child wants. But the child also learns 
And if, you don't have to be from some terrible, awful family, but the child also learns that if I'm this way, or if I act this way, or if I have this attitude, then daddy doesn't want to spend time with me. Or mommy sort of rejects me. And as little children, we, we so much want to be loved and feel safe that we will become the little boy or little girl that we need to be. That's where that fake it thing starts from, basically. That we will become what our primary caregivers value and want. Because to be rejected by them or to be judged or maybe even punished is just too much. So you become a persona. You're not your authentic self. You, be, you become the person that you feel like I got to be. And now this is not all, this is not conscious. You don't know this when you're four, five, six years old. You're just trying to fit in and, and have daddy love you and want you to sit on his lap instead of saying, get away from me. I can't stand you being so angry and nasty. Go talk to your mother or something, right? So you don't, you don't really know that you're taking on a persona, but then later on you're 40 or you're 50 and you're recognizing that that whole dynamic is alive in you that you don't even know who you are, that you're playing a role and it's sabotaging your love life and it's attracting the wrong dynamics because you're not your authentic self. See, if you're coming from a persona, like I was a rescuer based upon my childhood. I got a lot of attention when I just did what mommy wanted, made her happy, right? If I stood for myself and what I wanted, I got judged, I got in trouble, I got punished, so I just learned that if you want to if you want to get close to women, you just ignore yourself and just be a good boy. Just be the world's greatest boyfriend. Now, as I was kind of a rescuer, you know, I'll take care of your life kind of thing, I attracted women who were damsels in distress. It goes together, right? I mean, they, they attract one another. And we'll get into the what I call the relationship groundhog day syndrome uh, in, in other podcasts where we attract the same kinds of partners and patterns and pain over and over and over again. It's all about that relationship persona. The last one I'll mention right now is the whole masculine feminine dynamic. Okay, That's a barrier because our world right now is so confused about masculine and feminine. There are a lot of things being said about masculine and feminine that are good criticisms, that are very healthy challenges, right? So there is a toxic masculinity. There is a toxic patriarchy, right? There is um, a misuse of feminine, um, a misunderstanding of that, right? So when we talk about masculine and feminine dynamics, most of us today are just very confused about this energy that we are more comfortable with, right? We, we all have both masculine and feminine, but one of them seems to be more natural to us than the other. But there's so much shame and misunderstanding about both of these energies that we don't we don't know what what it means to be a feminine person. Does does that mean I'm just like a blonde bimbo with fake boobs and 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 I walk around like 
one of those housewives of Orange County or something? No, that's not what the feminine is. <laughs> that's a distortion. And what does it mean to be masculine? Does that mean I'm some womanizer, some power-hungry, angry, dominant person? No, that's not the masculine. Right? There, are, there is the divine masculine and there's the divine feminine. They exist within us. All of us, male, female, right? They, they exist in all of us. And I'm aware of all the, the gender discussions. And maybe in further podcasts, I will get into, because there's a way to really understand what people are saying in the gender discussion. Because not all men are dominated by, by masculine. There's a lot of men who have feminine as their primary life force. And there's a lot of women that have the masculine as their life force. And so when you try to put people in boxes by their gender, they're like, no, I don't feel masculine. Even if I've got a, even if I've got a dick, sorry, I don't feel masculine. And even though I've got a vagina, I don't feel feminine, right? So misunderstanding masculine feminine dynamics is an unbelievable barrier that keeps us single because those energies are opposite and they are what makes for attraction. The polarity of those opposite energies is what is the attractive force. It's an arc of energy. And there's a there's the North Pole and the South Pole. And on the planet and in the universe, there's an arc of these positive and negative energies. You got two prongs when you stick a, a, a cord into a light socket or into a wall socket. There's a masculine and feminine. You've got a masculine and feminine on your car battery. Okay. The, these are the forces in the universe that create a spark. They create energy, attraction. But when we don't understand them, or if we are, are embarrassed of our masculine or our feminine, or if we've been raised in a way that we've disowned one of those, the, then the thing that makes us attractive in the healthiest ways we're messed up with. We don't understand. It's we're misusing it. And that, that creates all kinds of problems. Does that make sense? All right. So those are just a few of the barriers. And we haven't gotten into the fear of rejection or the fear of being smothered, right? Those are the, these are the things that keep us single, it's not because we just haven't met the right person yet. It's because we fear that if I get into a relationship, I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to be smothered. I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so that's a barrier that will keep you single. Or we're just afraid of rejection. And if you're afraid of rejection, well, then you won't, you won't approach. You won't be responsive. You won't take risk. You won't open your heart because it's just, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt if I open my heart. If I walk up to that person and say, hello, my name is Roy. Or if I look at a person and smile and let them know that I'm interested in them. Well, what if they turn away and scowl at me? Like, what are you looking at? Right? So we won't be our natural, playful, flirty, uh, alive self if we have these deep fears of rejection or loss of autonomy. I mean, so 
the conscious person says, I'm not single because I haven't found the right dating site yet, or I haven't bumped into the right person, or I haven't found the right formula. The conscious person says, I'm single because I got some barriers within me that I need to work on. And that's where I come in. That's where I want to be your Clarence. When you're on the bridge, ready to jump, just like ready to give up on your love life, ready to just pack it in. I'm tired of this. I'm disgusted. I'm discouraged. When you've reached the end of your rope with the conventional approaches, I'm right here. I'm right here to be your guardian angel, to be your guiding angel, to do for you what my coach did for me, which is to take you by the hand and lead you down the conscious path of looking for the barriers. Because as soon as you clear that stuff away, love is the very nature of life. It's the very nature of the universe. It will flow. It's just, think of, think of love as like a river. And over, over your life, you've just dumped a bunch of rocks in the thing. And you're like, why isn't the water flowing? Why isn't the water, you know, yeah, why is, where's the flow? Where, where's the water? Well, you put a bunch of rocks in there and you blocked it. All you got to do is take the rocks away and the flow starts. You don't have to find the water. Like, where's the water? Where do I find water? No, just get rid of the rocks and the love will flow. Okay. So that's why my clients very often meet someone very quickly because as soon as you identify your primary barrier and you, you let go of it, because there's a way to let go of all that stuff. As soon as you let go of it, all of a sudden, wow, I can't believe it. Within weeks, within days sometimes. I've had one client, like within like two days of dealing with one thing, met someone. You're like, no, that's not possible. Well, that doesn't happen every time. Some of the work we're talking about here takes a little bit of time to get, you know, the, 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 the boulders in the river are sort of heavy. And it can take a little work to get them out. But... It's fun work. It's fun work to sort of wake up to how you've been sabotaging yourself and how you've been blocking yourself from the very thing you want most. So what's your next step? Well, the easiest thing was, you know, my second book is called Attracting Lasting Love, Breaking Free of the Seven Barriers That Keep You Single. So you could get that book on Amazon. But I needed a guardian angel. I needed a coach. And you probably do too. And you know where to find me. So with that, I will wrap up here and I just hope that you are done with the conventional approaches and you are ready, even though you might not know where it's going or what it's going to be like, but I'm hoping you are ready for the conscious approach because if you are, I am ready to walk with you and take you there because you will end up with a wonderful love life. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.